Welcome. This is Talking Joy, creating joy, inner peace, and authentic connections. My name is Pam Rotelli-Robertson, and I am founder of lifestyle brand Talking Joy. As a certified spiritual director, I have been leading groups with the power of words, the strength of positivity, and the gift of joy. During our time together, our focus will be on simple spiritual practices that can be applied to your everyday life with the wisdom and support of others. Talking Joy talks to help you realize your value. I am so glad you're here. Simple, joyful, fun. Let's get talking. Well, Meredith Plunkett, welcome to the Talking Joy podcast. I'm so glad that you're here today. And, um, you know, I've known you for a long time and have been watching you sort of on social media from afar. And uh, you have a great wit um, and you're a great writer and uh, blogger. And I just thought I'd have you on just to talk about your life. You're a mom of, of three young kids and you live in Texas. Um, you've moved around a little bit, right? You were in New Jersey, then Florida. Yeah, I bounced around a little bit. I was in New Jersey. I went to college in Boston. I lived in Florida. I live in Texas now. We're moving to Colorado soon. So we're, uh, wow. we're, ch- yeah, we're, we're chasing what feels like home or at least I am. <laughs> That's great. I didn't know about the Colorado piece. That's exciting. When is that happening? Um, we actually uh, begin our, our move next week. So we will be in Colorado for the summer and, and getting situated and trying to figure out where we want to land and hopefully find a home. The market is crazy everywhere right now, but my husband has started his job out in the Denver area. So he's already out there and uh, kind of a weekend dad right now. Okay. Well, the million dollar question is, is your mom following you? <laughs> I know everyone asks me that and she claims she's not because she's over winter, but I think given some time, we could maybe work on her a little bit or at least get her to do extended visits. Okay. She might be over winter, but she's not over seeing her grandkids all the time. I'm sure. So that might be, yeah, I don't think she's, I don't think she's over that. I mean, I think that it's been really nice. um, The proximity during the pandemic and having them in our bubble has been really, really important and just for survival, especially with the young baby. But I think when I realized that Texas wasn't home and I, I kind of felt like my mom gave me the okay to, to leave and that that was okay, even though everyone kind of moved down because we were here, I kind of was able to let go of that guilt and was ready to move on. And that's when co- the Colorado opportunity came about. So it all kind of fell into place, which is usually my sign that something is supposed to work out. Yeah. Well, I like that. So as a spiritual person, I'm picking up on that. You, you use your intuition to make decisions, important decisions. So, or a feeling, a felt sense about things. I like that. Yeah, I definitely, um, you know, just kind of believe that the universe works the way it's supposed to. And that if you're in touch and you pay attention to it and it's falling into place, that's usually a good sign. But when you're working against something and kind of, you know, hitting a wall, that's usually my sign that I need to look in a different direction. Yeah. That's such an important practice. I call that affirming and denying forces. So as I move towards something that I want and it's affirming and doors are opening and people are greeting me and saying, Oh, come this way. Then, then I know that I should move ahead with a decision. But when I'm hitting like roadblocks, I keep and so I'm, I'm pretty assertive and I'll keep like trying to make it happen. <laughs> and then I you end up miserable or you make the wrong decision. So, 
And that's kind of how the mom edit actually fell into place was a lot of that affirming behavior. Mm. Yeah. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Yeah. I, so it's, it's funny for me, writing has always been a, a creative outlet, but I've never really considered myself a, you know, quotation professional writer. I'm doing the quotation things for people who can't see me, but I started to get involved in the mom edit insiders group, which is a private Facebook group associated with the mom edit. And I just started posting kind of the way I would normally talk and write. And I just started getting a lot of positive feedback and a lot of people that enjoyed my writing and seemed to connect to it. And that just started getting the wheel spinning that maybe there was something there. And that's when I decided to reach out to the mom edit. Um, I kind of known Shana who started the mom edit for a couple of years. We've been Instagram friends. And I finally just reached out to her and just decided that the worst thing that could happen was she says no. And actually when I originally applied and pitched myself, basically, I didn't even think that I would write fashion. Like that wasn't even a thought in my mind. I thought maybe they need someone that will write about social justice, um, you know, from like a, a white female perspective or from a mothering perspective, or maybe about books. Like I never actually thought that it would be, oh yeah, you can come write and it's going to be about fashion. You can write about other things, but yeah, you're going to be a fashion contributor. Surprise. So I consider myself a writer with fashionista leanings. That's what I've decided. With fashion, say that one more time. I consider myself a writer with fashionista leanings. Okay. Like I love fashion, but it actually wasn't what I thought I would be writing for the mom edit. I kind of assumed I maybe wasn't fashionable enough, which I think is probably something that a lot of women feel that they're not enough for something. But it's it's funny how maybe that's relatable. You know, oh, absolutely. And it's something relatable. that I caught twice that you said twice there was that, you know, you didn't think you were a writer, but you are. Yeah. And, and it was bec- and maybe it was because you weren't officially given that title, but yet mm-hmm. you have it's your gift. And the same thing with fashion. It's it's like, well, who is a fashion person? It's somebody who 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 likes fashion. Let me just pause for a second and just say that the uh that the mom edit is a shopping and lifestyle website with a playful, candid take on style. They focus on authenticity and believe that all that everybody should feel their best um, and their most genuine selves. That's a pretty good statement, you know, of, 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 you know, everything that you're talking about. So I could yeah, see I how it, it resonates. aligns. Yeah, it, it definitely aligns. And I think, also just, it's, it's been really interesting too with the mom edit because one of the things that I bring to the table is I'm kind of a, just a mid-size individual. You know, I wear a medium large, I'm a size anywhere from an eight to a 12. And it was actually interesting that that was a selling point because I feel like also we're so used to being, you know, told that we need to lose weight or we need to be smaller or we need to bounce back from the baby. And it was the first time where it was like, oh, actually my normal size where my body rests naturally is exactly perfect for this. And it was kind of one of those, what if I didn't spend all of this time, you know, thinking about how I could lose weight or be smaller or whatever, like what if that wasn't even on the table? So that was also kind of this light bulb moment of, oh, what if I just unapologetically lived? And I think that's part of the success 
with there's, the- there's so much freedom in that because yes. I mean, I know I have those thoughts like literally daily, like I don't even own a scale mm-hmm. and it, I constantly am thinking about, about, Oh, it'd be great if I, that dress would look amazing on me if I was just a little skinnier or this would look better on me if, but um, and wow, what an enormous gift of freedom to be able to just embrace. I, I mean, I think you look fabulous, but just to embrace where, you know, where you are and that I gives also, other people permission to embrace where they are. No, you're, you're completely right. And I, and I think that's a big part of it. And, and what was revolutionary, although it shouldn't have been, was the fact that I just needed to buy a size large in tops. Mm-hmm. That L was you know, was so hard to click on because it felt like such a failure for, for no reason at all. But I think what, what really helped too is, is starting to understand measurements and starting to buy clothing and look at fashion based on measurements and not based on sizing. Because that really helped me see not only the inconsistencies in sizing, but also to better understand the medium large doesn't have anything to do with it. It's the 29 versus 30 waistline and what's going to be more comfortable. So looking at how I tried on clothing and how I purchased clothing made a really big difference too in in how I saw myself and how I saw my size and and the fact that it's kind of just made up. Mm. There's no consistency. I I think that this is really important because I think a lot of people don't understand that you know, I was at a store at the mall, you know, popular store yesterday. And the lady was telling me about a top. And when I walked in, I picked up and she said, oh, I got the small. I would normally wear a medium. And I said, yeah, your clothes run big. I said, I know. I said, I'm like an extra small and everything in the store. And I'm really a small, but sometimes a medium like this shirt I have on right now is a medium. And I hemmed and hauled on whether to buy it because I got stuck on the M I did. Cause for me, it's the medium. Like I don't want to buy anything in a medium because that means that I've moved to a different plateau. Right. Oh, the first time I had to buy something in double digits. Cause I, my big pride and joy was that I was a six to an eight forever. Like that was my size and having a third kid living through a pandemic, I'm not squeezing into an eight and it's not comfortable and no one can tell if I'm wearing a 10 or a 12 and it looks great. And I still get the same compliments and probably more because I'm actually wearing an appropriate size that fits my body. It fits your body. People don't wait to buy clothing when you reach that ideal weight, because chances are you're not going to be any happier and people's sizes just fluctuate because your weight fluctuates with your cycle, with hormonal changes, it's good to have a couple different sizes just for when you're mo- like, you're not supposed to be static. Yeah. So don't just buy the clothing that you love in a small size so that you can get there. Cause that's just torture. You just said that, that they aren't going to be happier. Tell me a little bit about that. Well, yeah. And I, I think about this a lot because back when I was in college, I, I had a period where I was going, I was really looking to go into acting. That was really what I wanted to do. And I recognized that I needed to be a smaller weight. Like I needed to, you know, I had that resume and the big thing on your resume is literally just your measurements. And so I was at the smallest I, I'd ever been, but I wasn't happier. I wasn't proud when I reached whatever goal I had in mind, my goal just got smaller. There was always moving goalposts. So when my focus was just on a number on the scale or the size of clothing, 
they didn't address anything else that was going on that maybe was contributing to unhappiness. It really wasn't about the weight. That was more just something to control. And so I found after this pregnancy kind of, you know, zooming forward is this is the first pregnancy that I decided after I had the baby, I wasn't going to get all worked up about the scale or how fast I lost the weight or doing any diets and beach bodies or whatever. I was just going to live. Mm -hmm. And part of that too, was the pandemic. Our bodies have been under enough stress. I'm not going to now beat myself up to lose weight that maybe my body just needs to hold on to right now because we are living in this fight or flight same time. The average American gained, I think, 29 and a half pounds during the last year in quarantine. Believe it. Yeah. Um, And so maybe there's something about that that's, I know it's not good for you from a physical sense, but, you know, there's this, we all sort of hunker down and, and, you know, nested. Exactly. We kind of hibernated. I mean, I think the only, and I tell people the only reason I lost weight during the pandemic was because I literally had a baby. I just like right there, that was almost eight pounds. He's <laughs> dropping the baby and getting rid of all that water. Um, <laughs> much healthier way to live. And also I think what helped is that we're in a time where over the last summer, people were like, I'm not, I'm not buttoning pants. I'm not wearing bodycon dresses. So I said the same thing. I'm wearing drawstring shorts and it's going to be fabulous. And I'm going to wear graphic t-shirts and it's going to be fine. And that was pretty liberating. And yeah. What also helped though was that we weren't seeing people and there wasn't this comparison going on. And loungewear was also very popular. So it was actually pretty freeing. But what I what I've also read recently is now that we're starting to kind of come out of things, that there's this big look at well, what's going to happen with fashion? Because they look at a lot of like post-World War II and like what happened with fashion. And what they're really seeing is since fashion is more democratized now. It's not coming from the elite and, you know, there's more places that people can get fashion and and get ideas, but that there's going to be this more individualized approach that some people are going to say, you know, there are some things that I took from the pandemic, like stretchy pants and loungewear, and I want to keep that. Like, I like that. And there are other people that have really missed dressing up and are saying, you know, I want bold, bright um, colors and patterns that optimize my mood. And, and just elevate things. And so the idea is that we're gonna see kind of a lot of contradictions because it's gonna be a lot more personalized to how people just need to reflect and react post pandemic. Now it's, it, it's interesting that whole compare and compete thing too, I think probably drives our purchasing because, you know, do you ever see a couple of girlfriends or, or out to dinner together? You, you know, if you're at a restaurant, they are all pretty much dressed the same They might have different fabrics on, but they all sort of have the same vibe going. And it's because you see something, you know, on someone, you admire it and you go out and get it. And what I'm hearing is sort of this individual. So there might be some pushback. I'm hearing that people might go a little more individualized to what suits them, what feels good, what's comfortable. I was at a shoe store and the lady was saying to me, um, I'm giving out all my secrets. I was at the mall yesterday, (laughs) but I love clothes. And I think that it's a spiritual practice to dress and feel good. Um, You know, it's good self-care, but she was saying that they're having a hard time selling heels. (laughs) I love that. Yeah. Cause she said, nobody's worn them for a year. And the thought of putting them on your feet 
is daunting. So I've been looking for some nice, comfortable wedge type stuff that I can. Oh, I have you covered. I decided a couple of years ago that heels were just not happening and that I'm way more comfortable in wedges and I feel better and I can move. Otherwise I walk like a weird gangly cult. It just doesn't work. I'm like a little <laughs> half in heels. So I need those wedges, but I kind of love that. I love the idea of, of just bucking trends for, for what's comfortable and what you want to wear. And we're even seeing that with the mom edit with readers. There are some people that are like, keep bringing the joggers. I want to see all the joggers, all the comfy wear. And there are other people that just want to plan for their vacations and their summer dresses and their accessories. And they want to start talking about that. They want to move into that place. So finding a balance where you're talking to to both needs, you know? So what excites you the most about this uh, newfound um, interest in fashion? And, you know, now that you've been exposed to it in, in a surprisingly unexpected way. It's been really, it's been really cool. I think writing and, and reviewing clothing has given me more freedom to try different things that I wouldn't try. And that's actually been a really good lesson. For instance, I thought that like skinny jeans and the big thing over the big fight over skinny jeans are in or not, but I thought I was a skinny jean girl and this was just my fate. And through the mom edit, and we do some group try-ons, which has been really helpful because you can see different jeans on different body types. And I've found through that, that high rise flares, who knew, are awesome and that they really work and it's a different look and it's a different style but it's been really fun to experiment because it's for my job. And for some reason that I feel like that's given me permission to try new things. And I'm actually trying to figure out how I can use that in just my interests. Like it doesn't have to be for work. You know what I mean? Like you, you can carry it over into the rest of your life. Exactly. And, and just the, the ability to experiment because things can always be returned you know, a fashion fail, everyone doesn't have to see, although I do tend to share because I think it's important for people to see that I get things wrong. Things don't always look good on me and that's okay. Yeah. Part of finding out, but it's actually been really fun. I've really started to see things that I didn't know. I like different silhouettes. Um, I recently discovered that orangey red is my color. And I literally was a person that didn't own a red shirt. Cause I just decided red wasn't my color. I don't know why I just decided, yeah. but I really started. And I think part of it's the pandemic of just saying, I, I want to have some fun. I'm, I don't want to wear neutrals. I don't want to wear black. I want to, I want to wear color. I want to go outside. I want to eat at a restaurant. I want to put on fancy earrings, you know, things that I wasn't really into before and maybe took for granted or felt kind of lazy about, but I want to actually do now in moderation. Yeah, no, this is a good reminder for women that we, we sort of make assumptions about what looks good on us. We get stuck in sort of this, you know, if you go on anybody's, I did a, actually did a podcast recently with uh, women who organize your closet and they said that they'll go in and that if somebody likes like, you know, a long gray sweater, that they'll have like 12 long gray sweaters in all varying shades. And some of them all look the same. And so we tend to, we're creatures of habit and we tend to buy the same sort of look or looks. And what I'm hearing is that this has invited you to sort of step out of your comfort zone and, and surprisingly, you know, try finding new things that, that work on your body. 
And that's been really fun. It's been really fun to do that and to kind of reimagine what my fashion can look like and that, that it doesn't need to be consistent because I'm, I think part of it is, is fashion can be a lot of things. And I think fashion can be political and it can be statement making, but I think it could just be fun and whimsical. And I kind of like to lean into that fun, not taking it too seriously, because I think there's so much pressure over, you know, what it means to be beautiful and feminine in our society. And I think just having some fun and just figuring out what you like, you know, society expectations, you know, forget them. And I I think that, that that's part of it is just, you know, figuring out what feels good and, and what you like. So how did you come in your own life to be someone who's not worried about like what society thinks or what other people think? Cause that's a tough thing, but I'm, I'm sensing, and I say this from, from, from honesty is that I'm sensing that you have a confidence about that, that not everyone has. And so can you tell me a little bit, how do you create that in, in your life? Sure. I mean, I think part of it is, was first kind of educational based, just understanding where beauty expectations come from and societal expectations and how a lot of it is just, you know, attached to capitalism and making money basically, but it's an ongoing journey. Like I've definitely not figured it out. There are days where I struggle and nothing feels comfortable and I wish I had long, beautiful flowing hair and all these things. And there are days where I'm, I'm in the group. And I think part of it is just being aware of all of these messages and just knowing that you've internalized some of them. And it's been mostly interesting with, you know, cutting my hair. I used to have medium length hair, but I've never had a pixie cut. And I chopped off all my hair and I have a pixie cut. And it's actually, what's been really hard is not wearing any makeup. And I haven't been able to go without makeup because there's still this internalized feeling of if I have short hair, that's generally attached to being masculine. I need to do something feminine to balance that out. And I'm totally aware that it's happening. And instead of getting upset about it, I'm just more curious about it and, and how I can either lean into it or break that cycle but just kind of being aware of it. And I think a lot of it is coming to not accept your body, but just kind of be neutral. I mean, at first, a couple of years ago, body positivity was really big, loving and accepting and saying, this is who I am. But I actually think the more I read about body neutrality, which is not looking at your body as like good or bad or positive or negative as just like, this is a body that you live in and what it does, not what it looks like. That's been something that I've tried to play with and tried to find how I can weave that into my writing for the mom edit, because it is about fashion and and what you look like, but how do I do that in a way that isn't so focused on my body? It's important to notice that we are all work in progress, Um, but I'm hearing that you have a, uh, a deep awareness about it and a deep awareness on the influence that social media has on us. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I noticed, you know, one of my daughters posted something, a picture of herself, and I looked at the responses and there were so many, because that's how it is with kids. I mean, I might post something on Instagram and get (laughs) 50 likes, she gets like 500 or 1500, but every single response was from a female And every single response said, Ooh, so pretty, beautiful looking, you know, all of them were all of these, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, highlighting beauty, 
not her. And I was like, wow. And then I noticed a friend, her daughter posted something and she's kind of like has an edge to her. She's a little sharper, like different type of kid and a little older than my daughter. And everybody was like, badass, you know, and all the comments for her. And again, all female. And uh, it was just a noticing that, wow, we're all looking at that outward. And that's what's hard, I think, because social media is so visual in many ways. And I think there's some positive because I think there are some people that wouldn't be visible unless it was more available, unless you could just put yourself out there where before you needed, there were gatekeepers. Mm to everything but it's also then you know how do we how do we take that farther and how do we go past just what someone looks like and that's why I try I try to be honest without being fake about it because I also think there's this tendency to overcorrect and be like this is what I look like when I'm breathing you know it's, <laughs> it's like wow you have a little bit of like there's it's just so interesting how perfection used to be the thing. And now it's showing how totally not perfect you are, but there's still something performative about it. Yeah. So I, I try at least to be honest without getting into that performative space of this is just my imperfect life. Like just a mom, you know, just trying to be more real about it. I love that. But it just struck me that, that our daughters or our children are being influenced to about that. And that they're all giving that same message that they're hearing back to one another. And it's sort of reinforcing it. So tell me a little bit about, um, about your writing. Like when did it start? You know, where does your, your, your sense of humor come from? Cause you have sort of this great wit that slices in and just gets to the heart of things. It's a great question. Um, I mean, I always enjoyed writing. I've, I've always been a reader and I think that probably influences things. I read a lot of different authors and genres and styles of writing. I think probably what helped me kind of craft my writing is I did a lot of speech and debate or forensics in high school and college. And one of the events that I did best at in college was called after dinner speaking or ABS, which is basically you can speak on any topic but the idea is, is that there's a message and there's research, but there's also humor infused in it. So you kind of write this serious speech and infuse the humor. And I think I've kind of taken that and evolved over time. My writing is definitely pretty train of thought and, and definitely in kind of a, almost a, you can almost hear the cadence and it's almost more of a, like something that should be spoken really comes from doing forensics for so long. It's just funny because like you said, or we talked about earlier is I don't consider, I didn't consider myself a writer because I didn't have a professional title. And I actually just started the, my personal blog, which I, I, I neglect, unfortunately way too much, but I actually started that during the pandemic because I needed an outlet. I was home with the kids. I didn't have anything else going on. And I'm definitely someone that needs something else. I, I, I need to have something else to fulfill me on top of my kids. My kids fulfill me, but I need something that's for me. You need a creative outlet, just, just like me. I feel the same way. I need it or otherwise I feel stifled. And that actually is when things start to come out sideways. And I'm posting on social media and it's kind of like all over the place. And it's because I need that place to channel it. And that's one of the reasons I started my personal blog. And also because... I had people saying, I like your writing. Where do you write? And that 
I don't write anywhere. I, I do these silly posts on, on Facebook that some people like, and that's it. But I decided, okay, I'll start a blog and it's a lot harder than it looks. So when I realized that maybe there was an opportunity with the mom edit and that I could focus on writing and not worry about SEO or how many, you know, there were already things in place so that I could just focus on the thing I enjoy, which is the writing. So it's, I mean, it's really, it's really been just the perfect timing. The mom edit just came about just at the perfect time during the pandemic and the baby being a little bit older. And I was just ready. I was just ready to, to focus more on, on me and a creative outlet and writing. You know, it, it's interesting. I always help people like in the work that I do when I work with clients one-on-one and in the spiritual capacity. And we, I always have people look back at their lives um, because so much of their formation for the gift that they're living now. So I, a lot of the people I interview are passionate about what they're doing. They're living in their, in their group, like living, living their, their authentic gifts and your formation happened and you didn't even know it oh, yeah. back during those years. And the fact that they in, invited your wit to come out, you know, your wittiness, your humor to come out and that writing is carried over. And maybe, you know, the fa- the years that you spent on Facebook was practice <laughs> to lead you. What I, that's what I think about sometimes is I, I'm, I'm definitely someone that I, I think, you know, mistakes are always something you can learn from. And, and that there, there are learning lessons and everything, um, even those kind of cringy times. And there are definitely things I've written on Facebook or, or whatnot that I've, you know, you look back and you're like, ugh, what was I thinking? But I also, I think what's been really nice and what I've sort of realized over the past couple of months that's actually gotten me to start journaling, um, actual pen to paper, is the idea that everyone doesn't need to have access to the rough draft or my first run through or pass through. Like I don't need feedback on everything I write and not everything I write or think is ready for consumption. Mm-hmm. And that's actually been a good lesson that honesty doesn't mean writing or saying everything that's on your mind to everyone all at once. Sometimes it's actually better to write through it, think through your thoughts. And it's actually been interesting to see what I then decide to talk about or not talk about what I actually worked through and realized this actually isn't for the public or this doesn't actually serve any value or the, I'm not ready for the maybe negative feedback that I might receive. So that's actually been a very valuable lesson that I've received over the last couple of months as I've become more public Yes. Of different reasons. I love to write too. And I journal and sometimes, you know, it's funny. I, and I think I read this maybe in your, by the way, your blog is called Mara dish. Yeah. <laughs> and I'll, I'll have a link to that if people want to find it. Um, and it may be that you wrote it in there, but there's something, and I wanted to ask you about this. There's something between posting stuff for me on Facebook. And when I post it on Instagram, And on Facebook, I feel very vulnerable and very exposed. And I think, oh, people are going to be like, oh, there's Pam, you know, she's like teaching spiritual stuff. And like, what's all that about? And when I do it on Instagram, I test things out that I've written in my journal on Instagram and see and, and test it and see like, 
oh, you know, I wrote this, this quote, let me see how it flies. And if it does well on Instagram, because I feel like Instagram is more of like, people are following me there that want to follow my spiritual. And I, and if it's popular, then I'll think, oh, well now it's Facebook worthy. There's something about Facebook that I, do you feel that way that there's this contrast between the two? Well, they're probably, I mean, the, the social media marketer in me says, okay, there's, there's different people on both sides, which is part of it. And you might edit yourself in a different way, considering your audience, because me, and this might be similar. My Instagram is almost more business. It's, it's where I'm public facing where my Facebook, everything isn't public. It's my friends that can see it, but friends, 800 plus people and who knows who screenshots what. So what is really private? But I think also with Facebook is it's just kind of a toxic place because so much of it can get stuck in echo chambers in a way that I don't think necessarily happens on Instagram and maybe not in the same way because it's, you can't really share an article a full of misinformation on Instagram the same way you can on Facebook. So I think that also yields to that kind of unsafe sort of vulnerable feeling that Facebook can give you. Yes, I I spent, I've spent about 10 years working in social media. I kind of just fell into it because I wasn't really sure what I was doing after college. I originally went to school for broadcast journalism, decided that maybe that wasn't the career for me, ended up finishing with a history degree, was going to go to graduate school, decided not to. And social media was just one of those things at the time where they just hired people because they were young and knew what Facebook and Twitter were. I mean, that really was the qualification, but because of speech and debate, I interviewed really well. So I remember before my first interview for a social media position, I'm Googling what SEO is (laughs) so I can speak to it in the meeting. And I got the job and sort of just learned on the job how to do this. This was before you went to college for social media and I had never taken a marketing class. But a lot of the skills I had lent itself to social media marketing. So I did that for almost, yeah, almost a decade. And then when I got pregnant with my third, I left my full-time job and sort of freelanced. And then the pandemic hit. And then suddenly I had no work, which I think was actually kind of a blessing. And I was lucky that that didn't add financial stress you know, it's not, not everyone can say, oh, it was a blessing to lose my job, you know, not have work. Um, but we were able, you know, we were able to make it work. And that actually gave me time to open to different kinds of careers like the mom edit and, and working as more of a, of a freelancer. Are you seeing the thread here of your life of, you know, the, the training and all the debate and, writing that you did in high school and college and all that public speaking, and then happening to end up in social media, which led you to, you know, it's just very interesting. It's coming together. It's coming together. Now that I actually say it out loud, I'm like, huh, I guess it's not that random. It's paying attention to what your strong suits are and using them. And that's kind of, you know, and winging it and just being open to change. I mean, if you had told me, 10 years ago that I'd, I'd be a fashion blogger. I mean, I probably would have laughed at you. You know, that didn't seem in the realm, but I think things come about when when they're supposed to and, and when you're ready for them. Yeah, and, and you said yes to a lot of things and you went for things too. Um, one of my favorite mottos is that to always ask because if you don't, yep. the answer is always no. And exactly. I, I mean, I, I ask 
for, for things that I want. And if they, like before we started out the beginning of the conversation, talking about that affirming and denying um, and the invitations come and sometimes they're soft and sometimes they're loud. And if we say yes to them, especially when it, we feel a little uncomfortable or nervous or unsure about it, it's amazing how much our life will open up to new and bigger and exciting things. Um, oh, I, com- I completely agree. And it's funny because it took me and I probably wasn't ready, but it took me months of, oh, should I reach out to the mom at it? You know, that fear of rejection to finally say, what, what's the worst that's going to happen? They're going to say, no, this isn't a good fit. This isn't the right time, you know, and, and to be met with such a, of a receptive, oh my gosh, we've seen your writing in the insiders group. This would be a great fit. Let's talk. And then a month later, I'm on the mod and it just happens so fast. And it was, it was the right time. Um, and it all just came together. And if I hadn't just reached out and asked and just put myself out there, I mean, there was really low risk except to my ego. Exactly. That's the, that's, that's it. That's the key. It's the risk to the ego in asking. And what would you say now, looking back at yourself, Yeah. I mean, it would be, I'd be kicking myself if I knew all the fun I could be having right now, because although it's technically a job, it's really fun. And and part of what I love about it is the freedom to write about what I want to write about, Um, be able to use my voice. I mean, very, they, they let a lot of what you write and your personality shine through. And I, I appreciate that. And also just being able to work for a company that's committed to a lot of the same values and, and, and social justice issues. That's been really fulfilling too, because also not a lot of people have that there. I mean, there are times you have to work a job and you may not agree with the company or the values, but you need that paycheck and it's really liberating. And I'm also just fortunate and privileged to be able to pick and choose and work for a company where I don't have to worry about what I say on social media because I know I'm in line with the company. I've definitely found that when I've had to stifle my voice, for whatever reason, that's been some of the more painful times to not feel like I can use my voice. Yeah. You're not living your truth. And now, and now you are, and you have a platform to be able to do that. Um, and you said that it doesn't feel like work. And that's when I know that I'm on the right path in my own life. Like my work doesn't feel like work. It's pleasurable. Yeah. It, it's, I get excited about it. It's life giving. And that's what I'm hearing is that you found a job and a place for you that is life-giving, that you're able to bring your special, unique, witty writing, <laughs> and which I, you know, the, which I have really enjoyed watching. It's been really fun. It's been really fun to see what'll happen with it. Continue to watch and, and see it unfold, but I think you're going places with all of it. And I think that you, uh, you found a really good home for yourself. And that's really why I reached out to you because I've watched you blossom, you know, like I said, from afar, you know, over the years and, and I'm really seeing you live into your purpose and your gifts and you're having fun doing it. And that's coming (laughs) for us too. So I often ask people what their favorite words that they're living by right now, or what words, um, I know it's hard to pick a quote. I think you said that you said, Oh, this was hard. When I asked you, you said you're inspired by so many women. Um, do you know the quote by heart or do you want me to read it? I oh can my gosh. Read it. I wish I, I wish I knew the quote by heart. I'm going to read it. But after we've had our conversation, this is your truth. I, I think, and you said, I have a duty to speak the truth as I see it and share, not just my triumphs, not just the things that felt good, but the pain, 
the intense, often unmitigated pain, it is important to share how I know survival is survival and not just a walk through the rain. Oh yeah, Audra Lord, who is oh, this feminist hero. I, she's she's wonderful. I read all Audra Lord. She said, okay, so, "Tell me why you picked those words." I, they really, they really spoke to me because I think it goes back to that that feeling of needing to use my voice, but also needing to be truthful and vulnerable. And I don't think you can convince people, not convince people, but encourage people to do something or to live a certain way or to think about something unless you show the, the triumphs and the failures. And I think it also, it just humanizes you. Cause I think that really gets back to how social media can seem so fake. I mean, it really can be, it can be whatever you, you choose to, to show. And I, I think being a little more vulnerable, showing the struggle and the pain and really, really makes you more relatable. And I think it helps other people. And I, I would rather do that than have people think I'm living this perfect, charmed, wrinkle-free life. <laughs> you know, Nobody is. Nobody's living. No, no one is. But, the, but when I read this quote, I thought, oh, this is Meredith. Like, this is how you're living. And this is the appeal of Meredith. You oh, are appealing you. because you're living, you, you know, by these, by these great words from this great thinker. So, yeah, well, thank you for your time and your willingness to talk about your, uh, your exciting new chapter and your journey arriving there and, and the gifts that brought you to this place. And I think that you, uh, you've inspired my listeners. I'm Pam Rotelli-Robertson, and you have been listening to Talking Joy, talks that help you realize your value while creating authentic connections with others. For more information about our talk today or to get in touch, you can find us at TalkingJoy.org. And to keep the encouragement going, you can also follow Talking Joy on Instagram and Facebook. Simple, joyful, fun. Thanks for listening. This is Talking Joy.